podcast from Crew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. Famous for The Jungle Book and the poem If, Rudyard Kipling was an author and poet, well-loved and appreciated the world over. He was born in Bombay, British India, which obviously means he was born in India during the time of colonialism. His parents met at Rudyard Lake in Staffordshire and were married in 1865 after John Lockwood Kipling was made architectural sculptor and Professor of Modelling of what is now called the Sir Yamsetsi Gigi Boy School of Art. Of Alice Kipling, Lord Dufferin once said, Dullness and Mrs. Kipling cannot exist in the same room. Rudyard grew up on campus where he was born. This is the family situation into which Rudyard was born. He later wrote of Bombay, Mother of cities to me, for I was born in her gate, between the palms and the sea, where the world-end steamers wait. From the age of five until eleven, he lived in Portsmouth with a captain and Sarah Holloway, a place he later referred to as the House of Desolation, a far cry from a campus of learning in Bombay, it would seem. He went on to describe the experience in his autobiography thus. If you cross-examine a child of seven or eight on his day's doings, especially when he wants to go to sleep, he will contradict himself very satisfactorily. If each contradiction be set down as a lie and retailed at breakfast, life is not easy. I have known a certain amount of bullying, but this was calculated torture, religious as well as scientific. Yet it made me give attention to the lies I soon found it necessary to tell, and this, I presume, is the foundation of literary effort. As it was decided that he did not have the academic ability to get into Oxford, he returned to India to be the assistant editor of the Civil and Military Gazette. Upon arriving back in India, he later explained, There were yet three or four days rail to Lahore, where my people lived. After these, my English years fell away, nor ever, I think, came back in full strength. At the newspaper, Kipling worked maniacally and in 1886 produced departmental ditties. Later that year, K. Robinson became editor and gave him even more creative freedom when he was asked to contribute short stories. After moving to Shimla, which at the time became the seat of British power in India for six months a year, then Lahore, he decided to travel back to London, the home of literature in the British Empire. He travelled via Rangoon and Japan, and his writings on Japan were referenced when he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1907. Kipling's life is a vast volume of travel, culture, prodigious work, passion and learning. 
Kipling was empathetic to many cultures, and in his storytelling, it becomes apparent that he is not a usual British author. Perhaps that is why he became the first English language recipient of the Nobel Prize. Any story one might take to read of his will in some way educate or question, and it is in this richness of observation and intelligent discourse that we appreciate Kipling. Kipling also became highly politicized in his writings and was critical of Kaiser Wilhelm II for his Hun speech in 1900, for example. Kipling frequently visited South Africa and was clearly attached to African culture and history. Kipling died on January the 18th, 1936. His writing will live on for as long as there remain people interested in stories. How the Leopard Got His Spots by Rudyard Kipling In the days when everybody started fair, best beloved the leopard lived in a place called the High Veldt. Remember, it wasn't the Low Veldt or the Bush Veldt or the Sour Veldt, but exclusively bare, hot, shiny High Veldt, where there was sand and sandy-coloured rock exclusively tufts of sandy yellowish grass. The giraffe and the zebra and the eland and the kudu and the hartebeest lived there and they were exclusively sandy yellow brownish all over. But the leopard, he was the exclusivest, sandiest, yellowish, brownest of them all, a greyish yellowish catty-shaped kind of beast and he matched the veldt to one hair. This was very bad for the giraffe and the zebra and the rest of them, for he would lie down by exclusively yellowish, greyish, brownish stone or clump of grass, and when the giraffe or the zebra or the eland or the kudu or the bushbuck or the bontebuck came by, he would surprise them out of their jumpsome lives. He would indeed. And also there was an Ethiopian with bows and arrows, exclusively greyish, brownish, yellowish man he was then, who lived on the high veldt with the leopard, and the two used to hunt together, the Ethiopian with his bows and arrows, and the leopard exclusively with his teeth and claws, to the giraffe and the eland and the kudu and the quagga, and all the rest of them didn't know which way to jump. Best beloved. They didn't indeed. After a long time, things lived for ever so long in those days. They learned to avoid anything that looked like a leopard or an Ethiopian. And bit by bit the giraffe began it, because his legs were the longest they went away from the high veldt. They scuttled for days and days, till they came to a great forest, exclusively full of trees and bushes and stripy, speckly, patchy, blatchy shadows. And here they hid and after another long time, what with standing half in the shade and half out of it, and what with the slippery, slidey shadows of the trees falling on them, the giraffe grew blotchy, and the zebra grew stripy, and the eland and the kudu grew darker, with little wavy grey lines on their backs like bark on a tree trunk. And so, though you could hear them and smell them, you could very seldom see them and then only when you knew precisely where to look. 
They had a beautiful time in the exclusively speckly, spickly shadows of the forest, while the leopard and the Ethiopian ran about over the exclusively greyish, yellowish, reddish high veldt outside, wondering where all their breakfasts and their dinners and their teas had gone. At last, they were so hungry that they ate rats and beetles and rock rabbits, the leopard and the Ethiopian. And then they met the Bavian, the dog-headed, barking baboon, who is quite the wisest animal in all South Africa. Said Leopard to Bavian, and it was a very hot day, Where has all the game gone? And Bavian winked. He knew. Said the Ethiopian to Bavian, Can you tell me the present habitat of the Aboriginal fauna? That meant just the same thing, but the Ethiopian always used long words. He was a grown-up. And Bavian winked. He knew. Then said Bavian, The game has gone into other pots. And my advice to you, leopard, is to go into other spots as soon as you can. And Ethiopian said, That is all very fine, but I wish to know whither the aboriginal fauna has migrated. Then said Bavian, the Aboriginal fauna has joined the Aboriginal flora because it was high time for a change. And my advice to you, Ethiopian, is to change as soon as you can. That puzzled the leopard and the Ethiopian. But they set off to look for the Aboriginal flora. And presently, after ever so many days, they saw a great, high, tall forest full of tree trunks, all exclusively speckled and sprottled and spottled, dotted and splashed and slashed and hatched and cross-hatched with shadows. Say that quickly aloud and you will see how very shadowy the forest must have been. What is this? said the leopard. That is so exclusively dark and yet so full of little pieces of light. I don't know, said the Ethiopian. But it ought to be the aboriginal flora. I can smell giraffe, and I can hear giraffe, but I can't see giraffe. That's curious, said Leopard. I suppose it is because we have just come in out of the sunshine. I can smell zebra, and I can hear zebra, but I can't see zebra. Wait a bit, said the Ethiopian. It's a long time since we've hunted them. Perhaps we've forgotten what they were like. Fiddle, said the leopard. I remember them perfectly on the high felt, especially their marrow bones. Giraffe is about seventeen feet high, of exclusively fulvous golden yellow from head to heel. And zebra is about four and a half feet high, of exclusively grey fawn colour from head to heel. Hmm, said the Ethiopian, looking into the speckly, spickly shadows of the aboriginal flora forest. Then they ought to show up in this dark place like ripe bananas in a smokehouse. But they didn't. The leopard and the Ethiopian hunted all day, and though they could smell them, and hear them. 
They never saw one of them. For goodness sake, said the leopard at tea time, let us wait till it gets dark. This daylight hunting is a perfect scandal. So they waited till dark, and then the leopard heard something breathing sniffily in the starlight that fell all stripy through the branches, and he jumped at the noise, and it smelt like zebra, and it felt like zebra, and when he knocked it down it kicked like zebra, but he couldn't see it. So he said, Be quiet, O oh you person without any form. I'm going to sit on your head till morning, because there is something about you that I don't understand. Presently he heard a grunt and a crash and a scramble, and Ethiopian called out, I've caught a thing that I can't see. It smells like giraffe, and it kicks like giraffe, but it hasn't any form. Don't you trust it, said the leopard. Sit on its head till the morning, same as me. They haven't any form, any of them. So they sat down on them hard till bright morning time. And then Leopard said, What have you at your end of the table, brother? And the Leopard scratched his head and said, It ought to be exclusively a delicate greyish fawn, and it ought to be zebra, but it's covered all over with black and purple stripes. What in the world have you been doing to yourself, zebra? Don't you know that if you were on the high veld, I could see you ten miles off? You haven't any form. Yes, said the zebra. But this isn't the high veld. Can't you see? I can now, said the leopard. But I couldn't all yesterday. How is it done? Let us up, said the zebra, and we will show you. They led the zebra and the giraffe up and Zebra moved away to some little thorn bushes where the sunlight fell all stripy, and Giraffe moved off to some tallest trees where the shadows fell all blotchy. Now watch, said the Zebra and the Giraffe. This is the way it's done. One, two, three. And where's your breakfast? Leopard stared, and Ethiopian stared but all they could see were stripy shadows and blotched shadows in the forest, but never a sign of zebra and giraffe. They had just walked off and hidden themselves in the shadowy forest. Hi, hi, said Ethiopian. That's a trick worth learning. Take a lesson by it, leopard. You show up in this dark place like a bar of soap in a coal scuttle. Ho, ho, said the leopard. Would it surprise you very much to know that you show up in this dark place like a mustard plaster on a sack of coals? Well, calling names won't catch dinner, said the Ethiopian. The long and the little of it is that we don't match our backgrounds. I'm going to take Bavian's advice. He told me I ought to change, and as I've nothing to change except my skin, I'm going to change that. What to? said the leopard, tremendously excited. To a nice, working, blackish-brownish colour, 
with a little purple in it, and touches of slaty blue. It would be the very thing for hiding in hollows and behind trees. So he changed his skin then and there, and the leopard was more excited than ever. He had never seen a man change his skin before. But what about me, he said, when the Ethiopian had worked his last little finger into his fine new black skin. You take Bavian's advice too. He told you to go into spots. So I did, said the leopard. I went into other spots as fast as I could. I went into this spot with you, and a lot of good it has done me. Oh, said the Ethiopian. Bavian didn't mean spots in South Africa. He meant spots on your skin. What's the use of that? said the leopard. Think of giraffe, said the Ethiopian. Or if you prefer stripes, think of zebra. They find their spots and stripes give them perfect satisfaction. Hmm, said the leopard. I wouldn't like the zebra, not for ever so. Well, make up your mind, said the Ethiopian, because I'd hate to go hunting without you. But I must, if you insist on looking like a sunflower against a tarred fence. I'll take spots, then, said the leopard. But don't make them too vulgar big. I wouldn't look like giraffe, not for ever so. I'll make them with the tips of my fingers, said the Ethiopian. There's plenty of black left on my skin still. Stand over. Then the Ethiopian put his five fingers close together. There was plenty of black left on his new skin still, and pressed them all over the leopard, and wherever the five fingers touched, they left five little black marks, all close together. You can see them on any leopard's skin you like, best beloved. Sometimes the fingers slipped and the marks got a little blurred, but if you look closely at any leopard now, you will see that there are always five spots of five fat black fingertips. Now you are a beauty, said Ethiopian. You can lie out on the bare ground and look like a heap of pebbles. You can lie out on the naked rocks and look like a piece of pudding stone. You can lie out on a leafy branch and look like sunshine sifting through the leaves. And you can lie right across the centre of a path and look like nothing in particular. Think of that and purr. But if I'm all this, said the leopard, why didn't you go spotty too? Oh, plain black's best, said Ethiopian. Now come along and we'll see if we can't get even with Mr. One, Two, Three, Where's Your Breakfast? So they went away and lived happily ever afterward, best beloved. That is all. Oh, now and then you will hear grown-ups say, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? I don't think even grown-ups would keep on saying such a silly thing if the leopard and the Ethiopian hadn't done it once, do you? But they will never do it again, best beloved. They are quite contented as they are. Two.
two and a mic.